We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody. It's Kirk coming to you with my first episode of Kirk Your Enthusiasm in about three weeks. I'm sorry. I've only been doing these post-game recaps. Life got in the way, and frankly, scheduling guests is a lot harder in season than I would have thought. Now, that aside, I uh, am lucky enough to be joined by my friend Matt Moore of the Action Network. You may know him from such places as the Internet on Twitter. He is HP Basketball. He is a prolific basketball thinker. He was my very first podcast guest, and it's been 20-something games, and I really wanted to bring him on after about three or four months so we could revisit some of our thoughts from uh, before the season started. Mainly, I think I took the Mavericks at uh, 39 wins. Where did you have them, Matt? How are you doing? I'm good. I had them lower. I have to pull my. I have to pull up my actual number. I think I had them closer to 35, and they bumped them up to 37 um, in preseason. But I definitely had them sub 40 comfortably. Um, I've been like, I, I have nothing to say. I can't clap back. I can't. You know, I, I want to pull the like. Well, let's wait and see. Let's 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 wait and see on this. But like, <laughs> you know. After the first three weeks of games, I was like, oh, this is going to tail off. I'm not worried. Like, they're, they're, this is fine. This is going to tail off. And they've gotten better. And so now, and the win over the Rockets was a, was a big deal. Mm-hmm. The win over the Rockets, going in there on a Sunday on a road early game and just smacking the Rockets around, that was a big deal to me because I was just like, okay, like they've beaten Denver. Um, they've beaten the Lakers and they've beaten, or they've beaten, the, uh, yeah. And then, the, and they've beaten, um, 
Are they going two versus they went zero two versus the Lakers? They beat. The, they went zero two versus the Knicks, and they've split with the Lakers. Split with the Lakers, beat the Nuggets, beat the Rockets. Like that's a good win profile, right? And especially mm-hmm. like if you look at, um, they've got they're at what I think six losses. Yeah, they're at six losses right now, and two of them are to the Knicks. <laughs> so if we normalize that and we say like, look, they should have won both those games. They're clearly better like normalized to performance they're at 17 and four and like that's just one of the best teams in the league flat out so um i don't think that they'll finish i don't think they'll finish with a top four seed but it might be close i do think they're probably going to finish fifth just because like the one thing i i may have misunderstood i i may have underestimated more than anything else this season was with all the chaos with everybody going all these different places and the trades and the free agency and everybody changing and all this uncertainty. Well, while teams are trying to figure out how to work together, what is the one thing that's going to shine through elite superstar talent? And like, that's what we're seeing, right? Is like the Lakers are killing it with LeBron and AD. Cause it's like, they can figure everything else out. Cause they got LeBron and AD. Um, the Clippers are still really good because they got Kawhi Leonard and they got and Lou Williams and Montrez um, Harrell really good and they work together well and they add Paul George. Um, you know the Raptors are still really good because they got Pascal Siakam who's been one of the best players. The Bucks are killing it. They have continuity, but they also have Giannis and the Mavs are killing it because Luca's just been fucking absurd. Like Luca's just been that good to raise their floor, their ceiling, everything. Like their win profile is really good, and I'm. I'm just, I'm at the point, I'm like, I'm just taking the L. I can't, if it comes back around and they fall apart and they regress to what I, I thought they were, I'll just be like, okay, well, they're still probably better than I thought they were just because of that early start. Um, like they are decidedly better than I thought they would be. And it's been a really impressive job. I think uh, by Rick Carlisle, uh, along with Luca, especially because it's basically like, if you look at the entire formula of the team, and I'm sure like you've commented on this and you know this, like, they're just really good whenever KP's not on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to circle back to Luca and KP, but there's two things that I want to talk to you about uh, before we kind of dive into some of the specifics with players. Where do you stand on things like strength of schedule and point differential? Like, how do those things affect your you know outlooks on teams and then how you how you judge a team from game to game because you know the Mavericks seem to have kind of a soft schedule to start the year and they also are are really just kicking the crap out of that schedule as well in terms of point differential yeah so the way I, I usually look at, at SLS is not necessarily to judge a team for where they are uh, because part of my thought is always look you don't get to choose that like you play who's in front of you like, mm-hmm. All you can do is is beat the teams in front of you and beat them by however much you can, right? Right. What you try and look at is, okay, what are the types of teams that they beat? What are the types of teams that they lose to? And how do you extrapolate that over what's coming up? And that's maybe like the concern, if you want to like find one, is that they've had an easy schedule and they've ran up a huge differential and they're killing it with, with point differential and net rating and all those factors, but... Um, they have some weird losses and so, and you're going to have some, right? Like there's very, in the East, there are three teams that are literally undefeated versus teams under 500. Like there are three teams in the East that have not lost to a team under 500 because the (laughs) East is so weak. Right. And then the West there, I think there's two 
that are undefeated um, versus teams under 500. And uh, Dallas is currently, and this is like where they are right now. So like this changes, there's a bunch of ways to do this. So like on action network, I can use bet labs to find out how they've done versus teams that were under 500 when they played. And then like ESPN tracks where they are right now. So if you go over 500, the standings automatically update and you lose a, you lose one of those wins and it goes into your above 500 mark. So like versus below 500, uh, Dallas is 10 and three on the season. Now that's really good, right? That's the same as the Clippers. Um, what you're really looking for with below 500, you're looking for losses. Cause what I found was that all of the playoff teams in the West, there were only nine examples over the last 10 years of teams in the West that had double digit losses to teams under 500 that made the playoffs. And what that basically says is if you lose the teams under 500 in the West, you're never going to win enough of the coin flip games versus the good teams to be able to make the playoffs. And so at three, that's actually a pretty high mark for early in the season. But then when you normalize it across the rest of the West, because the Lakers are undefeated 14 and 0. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denver's only eight and three. That's one of the worst, like percentage wise of, they haven't played that many teams under 500. The Clippers are 10 and three. The Mavs are 10 and three. The Rockets are nine and one. Uh, but then the Jazz and Wolves are both seven and four. The nobody's killing it versus teams under 500 in the West. Like nobody is. So it's kind of okay that they've been here. And meanwhile, you know, Dallas is five and three versus teams over 500. And that's a really good mark. So there's all of these ways in which their win profile continues to look really good. The big question is really this. Was the Knicks thing just they were messed up because of how intense the Knicks played because of Porzingis? And it was just like what a weird one of those weird things that happens, or was it a sign of like no, like very they can get caught by a few random teams, but then they really haven't since those games. So yeah, I kind of lean towards if they are able to just stabilize enough offensively, um, which they clearly seem to be doing, they should be able to outpace most of those teams and be fine. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm their win their losses are particularly interesting to me because. You know, you lose to a Laker to the Lakers uh, at home on what's essentially a coin flip because there's a lot of terrible calls. Uh, you lose to the Knicks twice, and both of those games are, you know, I think the longer the season goes on, it's going to be a, a really an instance of Rick Carlisle figuring out his rotation and being too stubborn to figure out which guy should and shouldn't play. He's very process oriented. So I don't think he likes, you know, uh, changing his rotation of the fact that Nick, that the Knicks have like nine offensive rebounders who can put uh, Dwight Powell in, in a blender, you know, the Boston Celtics loss is it is what it is. The Celtics are a pretty surprising team. They're a good team uh, losing to the Clippers. You know, if they had beat the Clippers, then I'd probably be ecstatic. So it's, you know, all those things kind of put together. I'm really okay with where they are right now. I'm very, I'm really surprised. I had, this was at the tail end of my hopes. And so that's why the strength of schedule question is interesting to me, because if you look at the Maverick schedule throughout the rest of the year, they really don't have more than the occasional two game stretch against teams that are, that are, are, are going to be, you know, um, just really not very good. Uh, and, and that is, I'm just, I'm really curious to see where they end up. Cause like you said, you, you think they might end up as a five seed. I, I, I mean, I'm still, you know, just kind of hoping for the playoffs because I had been hoping for anything around 500 and the fact that they might go from 33 to 46 wins is really outstanding. I don't think we, we don't really talk about this enough 
uh, when we're talking about, you know, year over year with teams, there just aren't teams that have double digit win improvements. Like that's, it's just rare in NBA it's history. Really rare. And, and, and fans don't understand that. They're like, Oh, we're just going to win 15 more games. It's like, guys, that, that just doesn't necessarily happen. Okay. I, I, I should be asking you stuff. And, and one of the things I was really curious about, you know, Kevin Pelton in the off season was the only person I can remember saying that the real path for the Mavs to the playoffs was Luka Doncic being out of his mind. And it's safe to say that has happened. It's happened to the point to where he is a outlier uh, you know, probably top five candidates for the MVP. And for a couple of weeks or at least a couple of games there, he was, you know, kind of pegged in the top three, which seems a little silly given, you know, uh, Giannis and LeBron and, and, you know, as much as I don't want to admit it, James Harden. So talk to me a little bit about Luka Doncic's MVP odds and really, you know, what that means if I'm a, you know, both a fan and then, you know, from your point of view, kind of as a better, because that's where I got a little bit lost because I just don't understand what the odds mean. Right. So if we look at Westgate, um, Westgate sends out update odds every single week um, on MVP. They track it. They, there's an email I get on Monday morning with where the Westgate has adjusted it to. In uh, the preseason, Luca was 50 to one to an MVP and wasn't on my, my deep list. Um, like he was on a bunch of people's list in preseason. I excluded him because I was like, the Mavericks aren't going to win enough games. Well, that's not looking great. Now I still don't know about that. And we'll, we'll get talk about that in a second. So right now, uh, Giannis is the clubhouse leader. He is at three to two, which is plus plus one fifty. You bet a hundred dollars, you win 150. And for the Giannis being the defending uh, MVP on the team with the best record and net rating in the league, dominating guys in a night in and night out, just absolutely erasing dudes, shooting better from three, one of the best defensive players in the league, best defense in the league, all of these things. Getting plus money, you're still like you're in a really good spot with, with Giannis. Um, however, after that, the number two guy in odds with the shortest odds. So if Giannis, God forbid, suffered an injury tomorrow, the guy that would go to number one is Luka Doncic. That's Doncic wild. Is- yeah, Doncic is currently three to one. He's plus three hundred. Harden is plus three fifty. Um, LeBron James is plus four fifty, which that's wild to me. Um, is plus four fifty, and then uh, there is nobody else really that even like cracks the conversation. Kawhi's Not even like Davis or Kawhi. But Kawhi's twenty five to one. <laughs> Put that in perspective. So you know, Luca is 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 three to one. Kawhi's 25 to one. Now, most of that's built off of load management, right? Like, just like, he's not going to play enough. Um, and that is going to be a knock on him. Like the voters will ding him for that. And his stats haven't been great. Like, this is a real quiet thing with the Clippers. It's like the Clippers haven't been great. Like they've, they've beaten a lot of teams that they should. Um, they've won some high profile games. Like they had the crazy comeback versus the Rockets and they got the win versus the opening night versus the Lakers. They play the Bucks on Friday. And that's a, that's a huge game um, in terms of like real, real finals preview test right there. Right. Um, but yeah, so Luca is three to one. Now I wrote on action network, basically that like, this is the time you want to fade him. And the reason is like, this is the time when he is at his hottest. He is averaging a 40 point triple double. Um, at some level when you're doing these kind of bets, you have to ask yourself, do I expect this to continue? And if not, what do the odds look like then? Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that it's not, possible like if luca averages a 40 point triple double <laughs> then then i and safe to say i think he wins the mvp um 
and even if like he just the big key here with him is all right they're 15 and 6 okay mm-hmm. um they're 15 and 6 so they're at 71% winning percentage um and that's math uh, they're on pace for 58 okay so if they win over i will say this <laughs> if they win over 50 games Right. It's just ridiculous. Um, it's crazy how good he's been. He's just been just stupid good. Right. Like it is, we were talking about this in Slack. Like he has a 110 defensive rating and they're still just murdering teams because he's mm-hmm. so good. Um, I will say notably, by the way, uh, I looked, I saw the stat as we were, we were setting this up. Uh, the Mavs have the best bench net rating in the league, mm-hmm. which Yeah. I, I'm sorry. There was no way I think that I should have been expected to think that the none. Mavericks no, have. that's good for at least two or three of their wins easily. And that's huge though. Like being able to convert those little ones is big. You know, he's averaging, he's averaging 30, 10, nine um, with five turnovers and with a plus minus of five. Um, yep. What you notice, I stack them up against each other. Like that's what I always do is like a stack up the stats, and then you have to break it down into film analysis and context and all of these things. Um, Luca, the best thing he has going for him is like a narrative push. I will say this: like the voters want to vote for Luca. Um, if he is, if the Mavericks get over fifty, if they get to 52, 54, and that's good for a top three seed in the West. Even if the Lakers and Clippers, Lakers and Nuggets, Clippers and Nuggets, um, or Rockets, like even if they finish third, that's good enough, I think, to get him seriously into the conversation for him to start taking major votes away from Giannis. Because the voters really want to vote for this kid. Like they just they like the story. Um, he's like the preeminent guy. He's his eye test, he pops off the screen. Um, all of these things. Like and this, this, he doesn't have any baggage. This is a big deal uh, when we talk about the MVP because Giannis didn't have any baggage last year. Now Giannis has baggage because he lost to Fred VanVleet in the, in the conference finals. Mm. Like it was, oh, well, you can't shoot. And you could so say they were able to stop you and the Raptors beat you four times. That factors in, even no matter how much this is supposed to be a regular season award, there are some voters that will ding him for that because he has baggage. Harden has a ton of baggage. Like, just that's his biggest problem is they don't want to give him the award because it's like, I know you're not, this vote's not going to look good in two months. Right. If I vote for you for MVP, I look stupid when you flame out in the playoffs versus Luca has none of that. And there's no chance of it looking bad because if he loses this year, it's his first time in the playoffs. So like the narrative push to me, if we've, if we put these things in the buckets for narrative stats, uh, impact on the team, excellence etc like well completeness as a player the narrative bucket is pretty much divided by luca and lebron Mm -hmm. and i think that that's one of the reasons why the numbers are so high i don't think the value is there on luca right now because i think that there's a probably time when the mavericks slip and then you have to start looking at the schedule because they finished with the 11th toughest going into the season by win totals and i have to like do the updates on where their those teams are actually at um but there's a good reason to think that Luca might make a late push. And if he's still, if he's plugging along and nearly a, th- a 30 point triple double and we get to January, then I'm going to have to like reevaluate this. And that's going to be a point where the Mavericks may slide a little bit, lose some games. There's some injuries. And then that may be an opportunity to get in low with betting. It's all about like, it's, it's like with stocks. Like you're looking to buy low 
and sell high on it. Like you're looking to, to get in when the number is longest. And right now is not because Luca is literally, in my opinion, the most hyped player in the league right now. Okay. Okay. I'm going to have to link to this in the podcast article that I do because you wrote about this for the action network. And I really think it's worth everybody's chance or time to go read about it. So, you know, you, you've talked about a couple of things that I want to, you know, touch on and, and, if the Mavericks are going to make a late season push, there's or, or even even if they're going to start losing, one of the things that I'm really curious about is their home and away record. Now, last year they won nine total games on the road. Right now they've won eight on the road yep. through fifteen, and I'm not entirely sure what to do with that because my understanding, you know, kind of my layman, my fan understanding is that. You know, if a team is pretty good at home, which the Mavericks were for a stretch last year, they were ended up being uh, reasonable. Let me see here. They ended up with a where did it go? They ended up twenty four and seventeen at home, which you know is 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 for a thirty three win team. That's at least something to kind of try to hang your hat on for the next season. The fact that they are already you know fifteen and six with eight road wins is kind of astounding to me. I don't really know what to do with this information because my, you know, the logical part of my brain says, well, you know, they can't keep winning 70% of their games. On the other hand, they've won enough of these road games to where that, that seems to matter to me. So, you know, what, what things, you know, long-term as we look to project over the next, you know, 60 or so games, what which of those things really matters more, at least over the course of history, as you've been looking at NBA teams? So one of the things that <clears throat> to look at, well, there's there's a couple of angles on this. One, um, you talk about their home record last year. This is what's mm-hmm. crazy about them is last year they were before they traded half the team as they reoriented around Luca, and it was the right move, absolutely the right call. Don't mind it at all. But when they had that veteran team with Barnes um and all those dudes, but the first half of the year, they were the most profitable team ATS at home. Like you just bet them against the spread at home every single time and like it cashed. Uh, so far this season, they are the best ATS road team in the league. They are covering, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are the most profitable road team in the NBA this season, um, which is just crazy. The be- here's the biggest thing to take away from this early start. The reason, and I, I, I hear and like I appreciate you trying to be not the obnoxious fans that I'm always complaining about in our Slack. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that, but you need to know, like, you can start reasonably expecting them to make the playoffs. Um, yes, sure. It's, it's a matter possible, of where. It's possible that they that they won't because there are teams that do find out like, oh, we're just not that good, or like mm-hmm. they just get with the injury bug or whatever. Um, there that definitely happens to teams like some and some teams we see are supernova hot until January, and they just run out of steam. They they just peak too early, and then it just kind of stagnates and. You know, some of this, I think probably teams will start to get the book on how to on how to do certain things like they're already throwing they're they're putting two on ball versus Luca every single time. And he has been phenomenal with his reads and how to anticipate and punish them. His placement on his cross court reverse passes to the corner has gotten like they are. I watched all those in in preseason and was like pulling clips and tweeting about them and talking with you about them. I was like, you know, his placement on some of these is not great. Like he's a little all over the map. And then like I look at him this year and they're pinpoint. Like he's got him in the shooting pocket every single time. It's really wild. Uh, But teams will start doing things like they'll stunt at him and then recover to the corner. They'll start baiting him. They will throw a number of things at him. Now he's seen most of this. Um, 
but I do think that that somebody will find some sort of strategy that at least bugs him somewhere along the line, and then we'll kind of see what happens. And the bench, the bench probably isn't sustainable. You think you just have to think that a bench made up of these players probably isn't sustainable. Now, some of that is boosted by the fact that Boban every single year has like a super sick net rating. Like he just does. He can't play more than like seven games and 10 minutes, but they kill teams whenever he's on the floor for whoever he's on the floor for. Right. But the biggest reason you should kind of expect the playoffs is look at the road games you've won. Okay. You've banked two division wins versus the Pelicans and a division win versus the Rockets uh, and a division win on the road versus the Grizzlies. That's huge. Those division wins are killer. Those help you so much. And the reason is if it comes down and it's Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, one, two, three, uh, and you're fighting for four, five, and you're fighting with the Rockets, you have a head-to-head win already. And you have a really good division record already. And the, the Rockets have lost to the Spurs already. Like these things come back and wind up mattering a lot down the stretch. Like, the, they they really wind up mattering. It's why I talk about all the year. The Mavs are five and zero versus their division. They are banking the exact type of wins that I am always yelling about that teams need to care about early in the season. Like I have yelled about this for years that this is the exact. If you want to make the playoffs, you win your home games, you win your games versus your division, and you win your games versus teams under five hundred. They are filling all of those categories. The road wins are big because they're getting in versus division opponents and good teams, which means that they can afford to blow off and lose one to somebody else. So like every t- every win that you get, like um, beating the Lakers on the road, that's not a game that you should be expected to win. It's one that you obviously can win. It's great that mm-hmm. you did, but you're not expected to get that win. And that means that later on, if you lose to the – um, we played Cleveland. If you lose to the Hawks in Atlanta, which I'm sure that would make you thrilled. Um, <laughs> if you lost the Hawks in Atlanta, it cancels out. Like you could just be like, whatever, because you've already banked a win versus the Rockets and the Nuggets on the road. You're supposed to lose that game versus the Nuggets. That's an in altitude game versus a team that won 50 plus last year. You're supposed to lose that game and you won it. Um, you're supposed to lose the game versus the Rockets and you won it. And then he banked a few versus like the garbage teams, like beating the Pelicans. Like that's just a good win versus a team under 500 that you should beat. You've banked all these wins versus, and even if you want to take the Lakers loss in, in uh, New York, you don't have to stress as much about that one. Cause you should have lost the Nuggets game. So they cancel out. And that's why it's big. Like the, the Mavericks are banking these wins. I've found over time that if you bank wins early, you can coast out the rest of the way. It's not the teams that coast that get knocked out. They don't slowly slide all the way out. It's the teams that are fighting for that seventh and eighth spot the entire year. Those are the teams that have a hard time getting in. Okay, so I have like six betting-related questions that I'm simply not going to ask you because I want to pivot to some more things because I know you've been watching a lot of Mavericks film, and you mentioned something earlier about Porzingis. And I want to talk to you a little bit about it because I, I'm unclear how I should talk about Porzingis. I don't want to be that guy that kills a player who is, you know, he's coming back from kind of a, you know, a challenging injury. His baseline numbers are okay for somebody who has the reputation that he has. His rebounding has improved, which is shocking in a way that I can't really contextualize. 
but his shooting has been abhorrent. And the Mavericks are mainly using him on offense as a combination $30 million, uh, you know, scarecrow paired <laughs> with the guy who occasionally gets, you know, uh, interesting putback dunks. Now, because he has been effective for them. Like, I don't want to kill him, but he's his usage is not what I've expected. And I'm kind of curious what you think of him because you were a little low on him you know, just kind of historically looking at the way his seasons have played out. So what do you think of him so far? Bad. I don't know how to really, like, I can't point to anything and go like, oh, but he's really good at this. Like, um, you know, he's shooting 58% the shots of the rim on non-post-ups this year. That's good. He's tall. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. There you go. He's tall. He's good at being tall. That's a good I thing. think he's opening up the lane for Luca in ways that, at least at Mavs Moneyball, we've not properly contextualized because Luca has been outstanding. But I do think there's something to the fact that he draws attention, at least you know a foot or two of space. I think, I think there's something true. there. Look, I, I think it was true early. I think it's true in certain games when he. I'll say this: when he hits one, teams get a little spooked. Mm-hmm. When, when he hits a, a pick and pop, they get a little bit like, oh. Like I don't want I don't want KP to drop like six threes on me, um, but by and large, from what I've seen, they're still just sending two on on Luca every time anyway. Like they're just they're gonna say. And I will say this: part of it is, um, I to Rick's credit, I think Rick didn't try and just hammer it home and force it. Like he no. has put he has put Luca and Dwight in in pick and pops or in pick and rolls about as much as anything. And one of the benefits of that has been that KP gets to do a little like other things. There's been some like resets of plays. Like they'll um, they'll they'll run pick and roll with Powell and Luca. They'll put two on the ball. Luca passes low. Powell kicks to the corner. They make the rotation, and there's KP just kind of standing in mid range space wide open, and he mm-hmm. just cans a little jumper. Like that's those little like fill in the gap spots are really nice. Um, maybe the, the way to use him more is kind of in that Bosch role because people are kind of have misconceptions about the idea that Luke, that LeBron and Bosch ran pick and roll at the time. And that did not occur uh, Wade and Bosch ran pick and roll at the time. But most of it was LeBron would run pick and roll or ISO. And then like the defense would get so warped by worrying about everybody else that Bosch would have like this little Island of space. And he would just like catch and hit a nice short jumper. That's it. And like those little things were really big. Now Bosch was better at the rim and better on the drive and could create on his own and wasn't terrible in all the ways that, that KP has been this year. Um, but I do think that there's more opportunities for him to do some of that stuff. But like, look, I don't know how to really like, I, I just don't know what to do when you start digging into it. And it's like, um, okay, well as a role man out of the pick and roll, he's shooting 33%, mm-hmm. uh, including a 45% EFG uh with a six percent turnover rate which isn't that bad um like on pick and pops this season uh what's his number at uh he's been okay on there he's nine to 24 for 30 38 percent that's a 52 percent efg um that's 63 percent percentile league-wide via synergy that's a good number like that's a good number right is like he's hitting when he's in the pick and pop he's shooting pretty well um spacing that correctly is a complicated matter um, but you can do it, and that's probably something they can do more. 
Um, he slips the pick too much, which that's always been a thing that bugs me. Um, he slips a pick. I feel like he slips a lot of the time, and mm-hmm. I would that like seems to be a superstar problem. Like yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an NBA time. problem. Like I asked Stephen Adams about one time because he doesn't, and he was just like, "Everyone wants to slip in this fucking league." He's just like, <laughs> "Everybody just wants the point." He's like, "Guys just want the ball. Um, nobody wants to take the hit." So, like off screen, he's been rough. There's no real area where he stands out, but I think maybe the upside is like, look, uh, you're not winning with defense anyway. Like that's not mm-hmm. a thing that's happening. So he's not a liability in terms of if the offense regresses, it'll get to be more of a problem. But yeah. until the offense regresses, it doesn't matter because you're still just cooking everybody. Right. You're just, you're just experimenting. Right. And, and and that's what I've been fascinated by is the experiments because this is you might think I'm crazy for this, but I'm interested in your thoughts. One of the things I really loved about the Pelicans preseason was how often they got Zion the ball coming off of curls and essentially going downhill. Right. And I know that there's almost nothing similar to to KP and Zion other than the fact that they're really like, you know, they're they're just very interesting athletes. And KP's so tall, he has a pretty good handle. There have been a number of times this year where the Mavericks have got him the ball either on cuts, which, you know, might be the result of broken plays or on some, you know, interesting screen situations, down screens and such where he'll come off a curl and then have a really good look at the basket. And I think he's really effective. I don't like when they post him up because he's mechanical as all get out and is very predictable and frankly turns the ball over too much. I really like it when they get him the ball on the move because he's so enormous and you know i i don't think he's athletic in the way that that i would have considered you know early dark athletic but he's still seven foot three and and long so you know one dribble he gets really far so i would like to see them you know try to do things with him i know the on off numbers when he's by himself without luca are pretty atrocious but i think if if i would like to see them at least experiment with things like that in games against the weaker teams than force feeding him the ball in the post which is kind of what they're they're well, going to and part of what they should do yeah i agree with not feeding him in the post right now um there's just very few players in the league i think you should feed in the post mm-hmm. uh, and that's not like i even think like we've kind of over exaggerated some of the big man stuff like i think we've gone too far with the conversation about about everything playing five out um one thing I think that would probably be notable is like, look, DeLon is probably the, the Mavericks like second best player right now. And he's been playing really well. Like that's an area where I would definitely want to get him involved more. Like if, if Luke is not going to be on the floor, put him on the court with DeLon Wright and just have those two run pick and pops constantly. Just get him in a rhythm because okay. like you're cooking enough offensively and you're doing a good enough job. You should be able to survive some of those possessions to kind of boost him up. Um, I think there are ways to get this is one thing I, I have noticed is a lot of times when we, we see two star players on a team, we assume they play great together. It's not always the case. It's just that they interact well with the other teammates on there. And so like you can build you can build chemistry between Seth Curry and Kristaps Porzingis or Brunson and Kristaps Porzingis or Delon. And then you don't necessarily need for Luca and KP to be this awesome one two connection in the first year out. Like right. build what works and then you can kind of go from there. Um, the Wizards were like this where Markeith Morris was really great when he was on the court with uh, Tomas Sadoransky. And then he was horrible with John Wall. And he was really good with Otto Porter and he was terrible with Bradley Beal. But if you got both those guys off and it was Markeith with Sato and, and Otto, 
they cook. Now those players aren't as good as Wall and Beal were, but the chemistry works better. And there's just a lot, I think, especially when it's pick and roll and pick and pop stuff, chemistry is more important than the actual talent level between the two guys. Right. Okay. And, and they're building it. So one of my guys in Mavs Moneyball has essentially convinced me that if they're going to play this well, then anything that they get out of Porzingis, you know, assuming they play 500 ball the rest of the way and make the playoffs, anything they get out of Porzingis is almost a bonus, which is really interesting. Uh, okay, so one of the last things that I really wanted to ask you, and it's something we've typed back and forth when we talk, you know, uh, on email and, and text and so forth, is what you think of Luca's style of play. Now, I, you see a lot of James Harden in him, in him and I want you to expound on that. I am splitting the difference between him and LeBron James because I really feel that Luca's instincts are to not just score. Scoring has really been a byproduct of how the NBA, of what the NBA has given to him, but he really came into the league with more of a passing profile. So, you know, give me your, your, you know, your elevator pitch for why you think that he is going to be much more like uh harden when his game really you know comes to maturity as opposed to lebron james okay so the biggest thing to remember is that harden is in my opinion the best passer in the league i think he's better than lebron he has a wider array of passes he has better targeting uh his back functions better like lebron's got back problems and so he doesn't like turning around um harden (laughs) has a more he's lower to the ground so he has a more natural pocket pass which is one of the reasons he gets Capella uh, a lot of those. He's a better lob passer. Like he's a better lob passer than LeBron. Uh, LeBron's lob passes tend to be a little bit. He's trying not to throw the pass through the sky, like through the skylight, because he's huge mm-hmm. and a monster. Um, so all of these things kind of factor in. And I think Luca has that kind of passing ability. Um, he's showing it to me like this year. A good way to kind of think about it is um, like if we look at okay this season we tend to when i made that comparison people are like he doesn't iso that much he doesn't iso that much I'm like look harden didn't do this until paul showed up and the only reason the rockets went to the iso system is because they were firmly convinced it was the best way to beat the warriors because the warriors were switching on pick and rolls and you couldn't get an advantage you wanted steph curry on him you wanted the first defender on him because that meant that they had to bring help over and then they were, it was easier to get passes out. Like There's a lot of these tactical reasons why Harden has developed into the kind of the ISO dude that he has become. Now, look, when we look at him, um, Luke is running 42.5% of his, of his possessions come from pick and roll as the, as the ball handler this season. Okay? Yep. Um, that's a huge percentage. And so the comparison is like, well, look, he doesn't isolate nearly as much as Harden does. Go back to 2017, the year before Chris Paul, the first Mike D'Antoni year. Harden was in uh, pick and roll 41% of the time. Only 20, he was in 24.7, 24% of the time he was in isolation. With, uh, with Luca. it's 13. They use him a little bit more in situations like handoffs and spot-ups. But we also see this routinely throughout the course of history where young players have more diverse sets. And then over time, they narrow and narrow and narrow to the stuff that they know works and they hammer you with it over and over and over again. Luca is going to be the league's best flopper in four years. This is not, <laughs> not a criticism. It's part of the game. 
It is something you have to do. He when he when he loses in the playoffs, and the fans turn on him that turn on him as it happens with every player from Damian Lillard to Russell Westbrook, every player eventually guys turn on him. The criticism is going to be look at a little flopper over there. Like he just, he wasn't even, they didn't touch him. He fell on the ground the entire time is going to happen. And that is like really on par. And then you look at like the turnover rates are very, very similar. Um, Like this year, Luke is turning over 16% of the time and 14% in the pick and roll. In 2017, Harden was at 20% overall and 21% in the t- in, in pick and roll, but that was with a much higher usage rate than Luka. Like, again, a lot of these things are, you're seeing the end product of James Harden, the furthest yes. extrapolation of what he does. We are just scratching the surface. The Mavericks still have a largely, like, not egalitarian. It's Luka's team. He touches the ball the most. But like Rick's always going to want a little bit of balance thrown in. Like KP's yeah. getting t- getting post up touches. Nobody gets post up touches with the Rockets. That doesn't happen. True. Right? If if Luca's playing for Mike D'Antoni, he looks a lot. He looks very similar. I'm not saying he's going to be as obnoxious as Harden was with fouls, because one of the things is Harden's entire body type when he fouls, it, when he flops, it looks worse. It just does, just because of his body type. True. Um, but I do think that over time it, it will come to be very similar. Their passing mechanics are very similar in terms of how they're able to get the ball out when you put two on them. Um, their their ideas about showing one thing and passing to another, but not necessarily at the angle that you're expecting. Like if you put a wing guy, they will oftentimes fake the pass to the corner and instead dish it behind them. Those are the kind of passes that they're able to make. And the finishing at the rim stuff is very similar too, where they're able to adjust, especially high off the glass. Luke is not explosive, but he gets a lot of, of those buckets because he puts them high off the glass, and that winds up helping a lot. I really do believe that those players are extremely similar. God, you just like the more I talk to you about it, the more you convince me, which I just I think intent matters in play, but I see what you're talking about just in terms of results, because you're talking about data and I'm talking about what I kind of feel and my, and, and, and intent, but I, I guess uh, here's, here's, here's the thing. Here's the actual difference. It's not even feel. This is the, it's not even just the stats. This is the real differential. It's whether you watch them game by game or you watch them clip by clip. And if you watch them clip by clip, you go, God, that looks a lot like Harden. If you watch them game by game, you're like Harden is a slog and a, and a basketball war crime. And Luca is a beautiful extrapolation of everything <laughs> amazing about the game. I'm not denying that. I'm saying that if I ran you all of their clips side by side and said, watch this for an hour, you start to go like, huh, that's weird. Oh man, man. Okay. Matt, thank you so much for joining me again. I'm probably going to beg you to come back on sometime in uh, March. Uh, you know, once we get around 60 games or so, as uh, always, uh, you know, like and subscribe, do whatever you guys got to do. This is Kirk, your enthusiasm. You can find me on, uh, you know, the Mavs Moneyball podcast feed. We do post game feeds. We have a really good time with all of these podcasts. It's been really great getting to do this this year. And Matt, uh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, man. All right, everybody have a good night.
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.